Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Saul Kay, and he is a pharmacist. He's an angel investor. He's an entrepreneur. He's a cannabis expert. And we're going to find a little bit more about his background and the work that he's doing. He's CEO of ICANN and also of Canatech. And we're going to learn more about both of those organizations, what they're doing with cannabis globally uh, and within Israel. Fascinating conversation. I'm really excited about this. I think the international space is really one that doesn't get enough coverage. It's something that I think we don't talk about enough. Uh, particularly here in the U.S. because we get very wrapped up in <laughs> drama in the U.S. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited about this. I'm excited to learn more about what's going on in Israel. As I think most people know, Israel has been really a leader, a pioneer in uh, the cannabis space, particularly around research and the science of cannabis. So I'm excited to see what's going on there. With that, Saul, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bruce, for having me. I hope the noise isn't too bad. I'm here in Malta at a cannabis conference, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty amazing when you when you take a step back and look at the cannabis space, not just what's going on in Canada or the US, but on a global scale, which is what I've done from the very beginning. It's it's really exciting because it's happening everywhere. It is. And would you, I mean, I just, if you think back like five, 10 years, could you imagine that cannabis was going to be quite this level? Because it's really all over the place. Well, that was what, you know, my- 
I, my dream and my goal, I, I went to my first cannabis conference, I guess, six years ago in Colorado. Mm-hmm. There were maybe 100, 120 people there. And I walked in and I said, this is going to be big. And then I went to MJ Biz in Vegas, which is where sort of the, the largest trade show happens. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're expecting 35,000 people this year. So it really is starting to become something that's, that's acceptable. We've, we've removed a lot of the stigma around cannabis, which is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It was still a little ways to go, but yeah, the, I think it's sort of transformed as uh, from a social point of view quite a bit. You know, I think we're still working on politics and we're still working on kind of the regulatory stuff. So tell us a little bit about your background. So originally pharmacist, how did you get into cannabis? How did you f- focus on investing and entrepreneurship? What's the story? So I, I took a friend six years ago around the world to try and find a therapy that was going to help him for his uh, condition that he had. And we landed with cannabis. And it had never been, you know, something that I looked at as from a business perspective. You know, it was recreational, available, and very stigmatized. And my sort of, you know, that was my light bulb moment where I saw this is really, really big. And I saw a fractured state-by-state program rolling out in the United States. And in Israel, we only had eight growers. I started to look at why Israel was really special. Um, and it had a good name, but the the marketing around it was all wrong and the messaging was all wrong. And so we got into it really to, uh, you know, to save my friend. And then I saw the business opportunity. I saw the, the way this can help. And now my mother and my son are both taking cannabis for, for conditions. And I'm a pharmacist. I've been treating patients for 25 years. And the ability for this plant uh, to treat conditions is is unbelievable. And we're only scratching the tip of the surface of what we're going to see. And that was what really sparked my interest. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about, you know, being Israeli or looking, you know, focusing on the Israeli market. What, I guess, how is it different or characterize what it was like when you started and then how it's kind of transformed over the years that you've been involved? Sure. So when I started, there was maybe two cannabis growers, which then became eight cannabis growers. There really was only one brand that was well known globally, which is Tikkun Olam, a company out of Israel. That means repair the world. There's been a lot of news around what they've been doing. And there really wasn't any other news other than the Green Party let's free the plant. Uh, yeah. Nothing around the, the economic potential, the tax revenue, the Israel's crushing underneath its healthcare system. It has a fantastic healthcare system. Everyone gets covered, their social medicine, but they, they owe about $3 billion on it. And it's there is no way yeah. out of that hole. So I approached the government saying that, you know, we could use the tax revenue from cannabis to supplement the, the hole that they keep digging with their social medical program. And it was rejected. But I started at that point <laughs> work with the government to yeah. hold their hand, show them that this, you know, can move from an illegal plant to a medicalized plant. In Israel, we're not looking at recreational cannabis yet. Yeah. I think it's going to come in the next coming elections. But, you know, this was all pre-Canada before, you know, cannabis 2.0, as yeah. we say. <laughs> yeah, I like it. So, you know, there was a really, I, I just wanted more patients to have access. We'd seen some amazing clinical trials. We did, the, you know, no, we, uh, Israel. Mm-hmm. Professor Meshulam obviously isolated THC and CBD in 1960s. He then went on to do all the clinical work around epilepsy. So Israel's had a very open uh, framework for regulated clinical trials. They just saw this as a potential other molecule 
molecule or set of molecules that should have a therapeutic value, and they, they allowed clinical trials. And that sort of is what sparked Israel to be this leader in R&D, in that we could do it, whereas in the United States, it's still federally illegal to do it, and you can only get cannabis from one legal source, or now there's a few more licenses yeah. coming on board, but you can only get really, really bad weed from Mississippi University. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I know Sue Sisley is a very well-known researcher in the U.S. doing PTSD, uh, mm-hmm. and she's got a couple of videos where she'll show you the weed that was available in that DEAA. FDA regulated market, and it's not comparable to what's happening in the rec market. So I sort of stepped in in Israel to change the messaging, to to bring Israel to the forefront, obviously with a business angle as well. I like business. I'm an entrepreneur since mm-hmm. my early 20s, and I've I, I always worked with the regulator. I don't try and skirt the law. I try and get the law to make sense and help the regulator because they don't really understand. So we need to bring in uh, some industry expertise because typically regulators go straight and ask doctors and doctors know nothing about cannabis. So yeah. uh, trying to bring a new voice to this industry. No, that's great. And I think that that kind of collaborative partnership approach with, with the regulators is kind of what we need. I mean, this whole thing is evolving so quickly that, you know, on one hand, we do need uh, you know, we need uh, wellness protection and, and, you know, making sure we've got good product and well tested and well, you know, good quality product. On the other hand, we need to make sure we're developing the industry and, and putting in regula- regulation that is going to help, help encourage, you know, proper successful growth of the industry from a, from a business point of view. Tell us a little bit about ICANN. Tell us about Canatech. How did these come about? How do they relate? And what are they focused on? Sure. So we started with Canatech, which is our cannabis summit. It's sort of like taking TED and TechCrunch and putting them together with a cannabis spin. Mm-hmm. So we started in Israel with a small event. We grew that, you know, to a very large event in Israel. And then we took it global because I'd always had a focus of a global cannabis industry, not a fractured, you, you know, single state or multi-state industry. Mm-hmm. And so we did it in Sydney, in Hong Kong, in Panama, in London. You know, we go to the hard places where cannabis is illegal and we really spark the the ecosystem along and yeah. speak to the regulators. We them having the right conversations and we saw the law change in Australia after our conference and in Panama and so we're rolling that out into global of that matter and the next one is kind of in Cape Town but then that provided us an immense amount of deal flow in the cannabis industry from all over the world so we started investing and we started an incubator where we had picked the best companies the best teams the best ideas and we uh, incubate them what's unique in Israel is incubation is together with the government. So we tap into a whole bunch of non-dilutive funding, which is why so many tech companies come out of Israel, because the Israeli government essentially de-risks seed stage companies by putting in non-dilutive capital in order to really spark an industry. So Israel does about $400 million a year funding. Israel does $400 million in startup funding. And cannabis was uh, allowed. They didn't say, well, it's an illegal drug. You can't tap into that funding. In fact, Professor Mashulam's initial funding came from the National Institute of Health in the US and the Department yeah. of Defense. Yeah. Uh, so there is a whole bunch of, of unique capital out there that we tap into. Are you leveraging kind of the existing startup early stage ecosystem that Israel has you know, developed or has fostered? Or is this really a unique, a cannabis specific kind of focus for for Israel in terms of fueling the industry. I guess how much of this is just yet another industry that could, you know, launch successful early stage companies and how much is this really cannabis focused? 
I think it's totally cannabis focused. Israelis smoke a lot of weed um, <laughs> on a recreational yeah. level. If you look at it, it's a very stressful society. Yeah, we exactly. work six days a week. We have a one day weekend. We mm-hmm. have enemies all around us, yeah. and all of us go to the army. So you know, there's a high rate rate of PTSD. Yeah. So they're already in the that that sector, and it's a an industry where you can make money and where there is development money to really start to be innovative and disruptive. So, you know, we tap into the other ecosystems of cyber and water and agriculture and genetics. They all tap into cannabis. So there's already a robust ecosystem that is sort of pivoting their technologies to tap into cannabis capital all because they want to be in the cannabis industry. Yeah. And the ecosystem, I guess, in terms of what you find you need to provide or or what early stage cannabis companies need, what is the ecosystem focused on? What are the benefits and and areas that it's trying to add value to these early stage companies? So, you know, across the whole value chain, we've seen uh, companies, but some of our key investments have been into a commodities trading platform uh, that's anchored now by 44 countries. Mm -hmm. We have an ocular company that's doing delivery of cannabinoids into the eye. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's together with Israel's Technion there. MIT. And we work a lot with the the institutions in Israel because that's how we tap into that massive pool of PhD uh, brain power. And Israel has the highest number of PhDs per capita in the world. So it's, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. So, you know, tapping into a, that existing ecosystem is is the driver. But particularly, we've got a lot of genetics, a lot of agriculture, precision agriculture. We've, you know, managed to grow all of our vegetables in the desert. And obviously, you know about the cherry tomato and the small yeah. gumba that came out of Israel, the unique um, grape genetics that have been developed. So that, that already exists. And so when you put a spark into an ecosystem that already has some energy, you, you sort of get a little explosion. And that's what happened a few years ago with cannabis in Israel. Yeah, it's interesting just because of your background, Israel's background in not only just kind of tech, you know, tech development, high tech development, but then, you know, agricultural science and kind of the challenges of being able to grow crops in fairly harsh conditions. You know, it's an interesting kind of mashup of, you know, technology and history and expertise. I guess what have been some of the challenges as, as you've looked to incubate this industry in Israel? What what are some of the areas that work kind of against you or that you find are, are a bit more of a challenge than might be in other parts of the world? Capital is always a challenge, especially in seed stage. So, you know, until I got participation by the Israeli government, it was harder to raise capital because the opportunities are much quicker if you open a retail dispensary in uh, Massachusetts. However, you're going to be a retail dispensary in Massachusetts at the end of the day, not a big pharma company, uh, you know, backed by intellectual property. So that's always been a challenge. Our biggest challenge is finding the best teams. Uh, There's a lot of people with great ideas and a lot of passion. And this is a passion industry. You know, a lot of people came to the industry because the plant has helped them in some form in their life. Yeah. And so you put that together and it's it's really hard to weed out the ones that are just passionate to the ones that know how to operate a yeah. business. And if you're looking at, you know, we probably see 30, 40 de- decks a week yeah. uh, across the world. And you're talking about companies that are predicting 40, 50 million dollars a year this year, next year. Are those people really able to run 50 million dollar companies? Yeah. And that's always going to be a challenge. But uh, the other challenge is, is researchers, academics who are coming into cannabis uh, really just want to do academia. 
which is there is no necessary commercialization strategy on the other side. Yeah. And always dealing, you know, with someone who's I'm always 90% there and I just need to tinker one or two more things and then I'll get there. And they're always <laughs> always tinkering, always fixing, but never actually delivering. You know, at ICANN, we try and deliver at 80% and we usually hit 95, 96%. Mm-hmm. But you've got to consistently deliver. You have to show, you know, the way in the market. You can't just have an idea and a piece of paper. Really, at this stage in the cannabis industry, you have to have a proof of concept, which is at least a, you know, a product or a brand or something that has got some traction. And then I think the capital, you know, comes easier. Yeah. Uh, what have you noticed internationally? I'm just curious. You, you've been you've been traveling the world quite a bit, uh, talking with folks in different countries. What are the trends that you see? What do you think's um, kind of coming down the pike in terms of, you know, countries that are um, going to be embracing, adopting kind of pro-cannabis policies, laws, uh, economies? What's your What's your view globally at this point? It's mostly driven at this point by CBD and hemp. Obviously, it's an easy entry point. You know, no THC, non-psychoactive cannabis is is something that's getting easier to to handle around the world. But again, no conformity. You've got 1% THC limits in Switzerland and 0.2% in Europe and 0.3% in the United States. So that's going to make global trade somewhat more difficult, which means we're moving really to an isolate world. But I Isolate cannabis, in my opinion, is going to become an FDA-controlled drug, and this is going to go around. So those are sort of the trends I'm seeing everywhere. Uh, Slow regulation, nothing moving quick enough. The industry moving faster, Mm -hmm. uh, which is not always a good thing. Look at a fast-moving vape industry caused over a 1,000 people to be hospitalized. So cautious is sometimes okay. However, you know, this is a medicine for people, and we want to get it into their hands as quickly as possible. So those are the the challenges I'm seeing everywhere. But if we're talking about where I'm seeing change across all the nations of Africa, Asia, Thailand is coming online. We're looking in China, obviously large hemp plays, but there's already THC conversations happening in China. Mm-hmm. And those are the really big markets. You know, everyone's talking about the German market from an international perspective. Yep. That's where everyone in Africa is planning to export their their products. So Germany is going to have a glut yeah, of, exactly. of cannabis, yeah. uh, but everywhere else needs cannabis. So, you know, once we've got some unifying standards around the world and that, you know, my GMP in Israel is the same as the GMP in Europe, then we'll really start to see some global transactions. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious on the on the deal side, the, the deal flow that you're seeing, what uh, any interesting trends or parts of the, of the cannabis sector that are, you know, generating interesting ideas or interesting businesses? And I guess, what are you noticing in the companies that you're either uh, seeing in the pitch decks or that you're funding or that you're seeing out there in the market? So like yourself, you're a tech entrepreneur, I focus on the tech side. So we, we don't look at vertically integrated companies who are going right. public on the Canadian stock exchanges. So that, you know, takes out a whole bunch of noise. Yeah. Uh, so we're looking at delivery systems, uh, clinical trials in unique conditions like ADD, Alzheimer's, dementia. I don't want to see decks where you're telling me you're going to do a study on PTSD. We already know cannabis yeah. works for PTSD. And I look at this as a very much a generic drug market. I'm a pharmacist. I've built drug companies, retail pharmacy companies, mm-hmm. uh, online pharmacy companies. And Cannabis is a generic, right? So intellectual property has to come from the other things around the the plant or the genetics, which is delivery and dosage. 
And still today, that's the biggest problem from a patient perspective is I got cannabis, I used it, I usually took too much or I didn't take enough and I didn't like the effect and that's it. I'm never using cannabis yeah. again. It's like saying I went and I tried an antibiotic once and it didn't work. Yeah. Well, maybe you need to try a different antibiotic, <laughs> right? So, you know, being a pharmacist, having that experience is 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 all helped me to to hone in on really what what is a differentiator in the market. And and that's what we focus focusing on um, investing in. So, um, and there's so much of it. It's fantastic. New vape devices, new delivery, new oral delivery systems. Um, and then how are those clinically trialed or marketed so that they can actually get to the hands of the patient? Because at the end of the day, you can have a brilliant product with zero distribution and, and that's not going to work. So, you know, we try and look at the, the holistic point of view and then where do you operate and how do you operate becomes very important. Yeah. No, it seems like there's, uh, I mean, the, the big things that I've noticed as this industry kind of matures is the kind of the, the need for, you know, fairly sophisticated supply distribution systems. You know, how do you actually deliver quality product to the market on a consistent basis to the level of demand that is out there? And then the whole kind of brand aspect of how how do you create you know real brands that consumers are going to you know identify with and be able to understand you know what the product is what the benefit is what the application is going to be and and addressing these different markets i mean guess what's your what do you notice in terms of companies that are doing either of those particularly well, either from a you know, kind of a supply distribution model, figuring that part out, or you know, from the brand point of view, actually developing segments, developing the market and market segments and creating brands that are going to address you know, the needs of those, those different uh, groups of people? Yeah, it's really tough. I was at a conference in uh, Santa Rosa in, in California. And it was a brand conference. And really, when you start to see the, the, the breadth and length of these, these brands that are coming out, and, you know, there's two, three typical brand styles. There's, the, you know, the very California surfy look, and there's the yep. sort of like brass knuckles, very, um, <laughs> you know, sons of anarchy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then there's your sophisticated women's brands and your, your, you know, your cosmetics. There isn't really all that much that differentiates across that whole spectrum. Yeah. So it's, it really does come down to distribution. How many people are you getting your product in front of? And then you could create a beautiful product product like a, a Lowell's uh, pre-rolls, right? Mm -hmm. Fantastic product, really well designed. Uh, but supply chain problems has caused them uh, to not have a great following yeah. where, you know, loyalty becomes an issue because I want the same thing every time. And if your supply chain can't deliver that, your product is going to be affected. So it really, really does come down to branding and distribution and making sure that you've got a solid supply chain. You know, because that if you lose your your one supplier of your high quality extract and you have to move to someone else, it, it will affect the flavor and the taste and your customer ultimately will know that. So, you know, we're also starting to see a move, I guess, to some more conscious cannabis companies, you know, with a social equity portion, uh, yep. with some form of give back, you know, like Tom's Shoes did and things like that. So that's an interesting little thing that's happening as well. Yeah, I think this um, kind of the, the segment that are developing are fascinating and, and then the response, you know, how, how companies are approaching, I mean, you know, marketing to, you know, someone who's been using cannabis for 30 years, you know, recreationally is, is very different than, you know, trying to help someone, you know, who's 65 and dealing with, you know, ailments and pain issues and things like that. It's just, it's such a radically different 
market. But yet we're basically using the same product of a lot of people because it's kind of say, taking the same product and trying to pitch it to both groups is doesn't seem to be, you know, it's going to have limited effectiveness. And I think that whole kind of development of segments is fascinating. Any segments, any sort of cannabis using segments or parts of this economy that you see kind of up and coming or most interesting from uh, who who you're trying to address or who you're trying to provide a value proposition to in, in some of the companies you've seen? I think the baby boomers are the, you know, the recreational market is a millennial driven market. The medical market is driven by yours and my parents, Um, you know, who doesn't suffer from sleep issues, pain, not to mention, you know, major uh, catastrophic issues that they often have. So they're the biggest users. And I think if you look at the analytics coming out of the strong states, over 50% of people present first time for a sleep disorder. So yes, we've got the niche medicine right now and we're, we're helping lots and lots of people uh, with epilepsy, but we're helping, you know, possibly millions of people with their sleep disorders. So, you know, I think that's the biggest segment. It's our parents. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and it's fascinating to see it kind of come online. I remember, you know, maybe eight years ago, you know, talking, talking to about cannabis to people of that generation and the stigma that was there. You know, now, now now they ask me if I know someone who can get their son or their daughter a job. <laughs> it's it's, right, it's exactly. such a switch in right. the uh, in, in kind of the perception of it. Tell me a little bit about the investments that you're making and industry and and how you're set up. If uh, you know what what kind of companies are you primarily focused on? How does your investment kind of structure work? What does the ecosystem look like? Tell us about how how you're kind of structuring that and what you're hoping to achieve. Sure. So we've made, you know, small to large investments anywhere from fifty thousand, hundred thousand dollar checks up to millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. We've, you know, created a network effect with Canatech. So we have, you know, thousands of alumni that have attended events. These are usually people who are interested in the industry. Uh, so we pull together and syndicate deals through that engine. Mm-hmm. And then my heart really does lie with the, the R&D side where we tap into the academia that's going on in Israel and find those really early stage companies that, that we uh, go all the way from ideation through to product. And we've got a strong partnership network of formulators, manufacturers across the world so that our supply chains can always be very robust across all the companies that we're investing in. So, you know, trying to build a platform with a lot of synergies in the companies that we both invest capital in or that we incubate, as well as the the other companies that we invest in to provide an infrastructure for those startup companies to roll their products out on a global scale. And we recently announced a partnership with a California manufacturer who's going to be dropping Israeli products into shelves in California, coming again back to the distribution. Wow, yeah. And really nailing how do we do tech transfer uh, for the cannabis industry from Israel. But ultimately, we're going to have this happening in every country that we operate so that we can take African innovations to the California market and African brands and Latin American brands and European brands. And, And we look at sort of the channels the opposite way. Everyone's trying to get products into Germany. I want to get the German brand out of Germany into Mexico, as an example. So trying to build that sort of infrastructure, both in investments in companies that that we believe in, you know, strong players in the Africa continent, Latin America, you know, US players, so that when products are ready, we really do have the ability to take them and commercialize them across the board. Um, It's interesting. So that's the the thesis. It's almost like having, um, you know, contract manufacturer 
who can, you know, in in the geography that is that is gonna you're gonna have production and distribution in, and then then figure out how to take the different IP and brands and and processes and things that are being developed uh, from an IP point of view and figure out then and how to get them into the facility to actually execute on the product. That Absolutely. seems to be interesting model, interesting challenge. Yeah, and you know, not all brands work in all locations. Starbucks learned that, you know, very quickly where it didn't work in, in Israel at all. It didn't work in Japan initially. You know, so there is a nuance. We just try and, and speak that language and understand, you know, the differences and, and really try and hone in and take the winners and with, you know, all VCs, all investment houses, it's it's our ability at this point to pick the winners uh, in this industry. And so far, we've we've got a pretty good track record and we hope to, you know, continue building it out. Yeah, that's great. So take us out, you know, a year or two here. What's in the strategic plan for ICANN, for Canatech? What do you have coming, kind of coming down the roadmap of, of initiatives, plans, you know, conferences, things like that? What's, what's, on, your, uh, what's on your backlog of uh, things you're working on executing? So like we've done in the past where we go where it's hard and where it's needed, our next major challenge is China. Uh, we're doing our conference in June 2020, and the Chinese market is just so massive as a local market. Never mind that they you know, produce 90% yeah. of the hemp in the world and will become a net exporter as well. So that, that's something that's very exciting to tap into these new ecosystems. You know, obviously with the Chinese-U.S. cool down that's going on, we'll <laughs> yeah. see how that all plays out. But, yeah. you know, the rest of the world's still doing business with China. Yeah. And then, you know, continuing, uh, our, our goal is to get 12 new companies in in the next year. Uh-huh. Uh, we have our cohort starting in January. So we're always looking for new technologies that are looking for that global strategic help that we can provide. So I'd love, you know, to hear more and see more. But this is this is the plan. I am planning something along the lines of what I built with ICANN in the new psychedelic world. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Decriminalization has happened in Colorado and Oakland and Oregon is on its way and then the Netherlands already has a decrim. So I think cannabis has provided somewhat of a framework for the decriminalization and possibly legalization of mushrooms, psilocybin, LSD, yeah. etc. Yeah. Uh, so we're definitely looking at that space and I think we'll see something coming out very soon around that. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, it's fa- that's a kind of fascinating, you know, extension of, of what's happening in cannabis. I'll you know, I'm curious to see how that plays out. Obviously, a little different kind of historical background and, and social political background, but, um, you know, fascinating to see how that that's kind of paralleling at some level to what's been happening in cannabis. And to tell us more, if people want to, I guess, find out more information about you, about ICANN, about Canatech, what's the best way to get that information and, and find out more? Well, I think if you do a Google search for Israel Cannabis, ICANN usually comes up pretty much on top. So Israel-Cannabis.com is our website. Canna-Tech.co is our conference website. We'd love for you to join us at one of our next uh, events, either in Israel, Cape Town, Davos at the World Economic Forum, or China. Um, and uh, look forward to continue building a global cannabis ecosystem. Perfect. I'll, I'll make sure that those links are in the show notes. so People can click through, get that information. So this has been a pleasure. Great conversation. I'm fascinated by, by what you're doing. I'm excited about the international side of this. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much, Bruce. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. 
And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.